Reformed Youth Ministries, RYM, has been serving local churches for 50 years. Our mission is to serve the church in reaching and equipping youth for Christ. Please visit rym.org to view a growing array of resources for leaders, students, and parents. Download free Bible study curricula, learn about our track series of booklets for students, and check out the new weekly top 10 lists. 50 for the 50th. RYM is an independent ministry eager to serve churches regardless of denomination. We greatly appreciate all you are doing to reach and equip youth for Christ. To learn more, visit rym.org. Welcome to the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast, where we offer resources to help youth pastors center their ministry in the gospel and disciple their students toward lifelong faith in Jesus. I'm your host, Tucker Fleming, and I'm so glad to be with you today to chat about gospel-centered youth ministry. We are continuing on in our series about the foundations of youth ministry, in which we'll talk a little bit about the rooted five pillars of youth ministry, and also several other things that kind of support and undergird those pillars. And today, we've got a great friend, a great youth pastor on to talk with us, Eric O'Connell, about the philosophy of youth ministry. Eric, will you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are, what you do, et cetera, et cetera? Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Tucker, for having me. Uh, this is awesome. And uh, my, like I said, my name's Eric. I'm kind of weird. I spell it A-R-E-K. Can't take credit for it. It belongs to my mom. But uh, I, uh, yeah, been a youth pastor now uh, uh, over 10 years at uh, Hillside. I became Christian when I was 16 and they hired me when I was 22. And uh, as the years have gone on and, you know, being 10 years in youth ministry, uh, I've become ordained since uh, 2017. And so I've got a lot on my plate. Currently, I do high school, but I also do young adults. I do outreach. I preach. I do a lot of things. Um, but uh, love my church very much, and uh, they are now actually helping me go to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary to do my Doctor of Ministry. Uh, it's a cohort that's uh, Ministry to Emerging Generations, and my project specifically is focusing on um, how we can use trauma as something that can actually grow us. So excited about that. But the most important part about me is I am a uh, husband of a beautiful wife named Jamie and uh, two beautiful, lovely girls, uh, three years old, Kaya and almost two year old Leighton. So proud girl, dad. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they keep me busy. Awesome, man. We're super, super glad to have you today to chat about a philosophy of youth ministry, the importance of kind of having somewhat explicit, uh, philosophy of youth ministry. I, you know, this topic, Eric is not a glamorous one, right? Like preaching, teaching, Mm -hmm. those are maybe a little more glamorous. The philosophy of youth ministry piece, uh, while maybe not as shiny, I think is just as important, especially for young and new youth pastors. Um, one thing I've gathered from my own time as a youth pastor and from talking to other youth pastors is that, there's not always an explicit mission uh, to God, what they do and how or why they do it. And uh, another way to say that might just be that there's not an explicit philosophy of youth ministry um, and how that looks in a given local church. Do you think that's a problem? And if so, why or why not? Why might we need a kind of more explicit than not philosophy of youth ministry? Uh, yeah, um, I, I love how you actually started it. I want to start by saying I think, yes, it is a problem. Um, 
but I think exactly what you said in the beginning hit the nail on the head. It's, have you ever seen that, that matrix of, you know, urgent and important, urgent, not important. I think this falls into that category of, uh, not urgent, but very important and also not shiny, right? Like we want to, if, if you're new, especially, you know, a lot of the things we dream of is how can I change the stage? You know, what, 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 all those types of things. Um, and the, one of the reasons why I think it's so important, and I think COVID showed us this big time, is leading out of reaction, it's not sustainable. And it will lead to burnout. I think we need to lead out of mission and vision, not necessarily reaction, because people are always going to react. And But I will say, I think, yes, it's a problem. Uh, I think that the word I wrote down in preparing for our time together was kind of need to be stubbornly flexible, right? Like, um, we, we do need to have mission and vision. I think there needs to be a constant and a foundation, but we have, we need some room for flexibility and change with the needs of our students and our world. And I think that there's some philosophies you can adopt that actually allow you to remain rooted, no pun intended, you know, even as things change. So awesome. That's super, super helpful. I'm curious yeah. when you hear a kind of personal or ministerial philosophy of youth ministry, what do you think of? Do you think of just a mission statement or do you think of maybe a, a more fleshed out kind of scope and sequence? What comes to your mind when you hear that phrase? So you're talking to someone who, so I got my bachelor of uh, Christian education ministries with an emphasis in youth ministry at Biola university, you know, nice. was convinced that after I got done with it, that I was going to be the, this awesome youth pastor and because, you know, in my time at Biola, we even, like one of our biggest projects was actually creating like a fake church with a group and creating a philosophy of youth ministry book. Um, but when I think about like philosophy, and I don't know the exact definition of it, but for me, it's just sort of, um, you know, what are my North Stars? Um, you know, what are my sort of my, my pillars of, you know, how I'm going to approach any given year? Um, and I can share what some of those are for me. But yeah, yeah when I think about it, it's more or less. Hey, what what is going to be the thing that drives us? Um, where what's what are our lanes? And and when I think about philosophy too, and I think this is a really important thing to consider that enough youth pastors don't is what will your philosophy allow you to say no to for good reason? Yeah, with conviction. So yeah, that's super important. I think you know you I think would be a good example of this. Most youth pastors can experience this as well. In that you know when you come on as a youth pastor you are not just the pastor to the 6th to 12th graders, right? A lot of times you're the bus driver, the part-time janitor, the auto mechanic, the uh, scheduler, the receipt collector, any number of things. And as you mentioned in the intro, a you know pastor oftentimes to college kids and young professionals get dropped in there as well. And so I think it's really helpful for a a very busy and generally – fuzzily defined profession to have some kind of North stars <laughs> uh, to, to be able to guide you on what to say, Hey, this is good, but it is not good for me right now. Oh. Can you think of some examples of like, you know, ways that your kind of North stars, first off, what those North stars might be, how they might've changed yep. over your career as a youth <laughs> pastor and what they have maybe allowed you to say yes and no to over your uh, youth yeah. pastor. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, man, I've got to try and condense this down a bit. Um, yeah, so again, I've been at my church for 10 years now. Um, when I was hired 
you know, so I said, I came to Christ when I was 16. I came up in a very non-Christian background. So this was all very new to me. I've had like one coffee job, you know, manager job. But other than that, ever since I became a Christian, really knew God's call in my life was to work in ministry. So mm-hmm. I've been chasing vocational ministry since 16. Um, I've had a lot of really good mentors who've done it totally different. And that's been invaluable. But I, for me, when I first got hired, I was 22 years old, like six years as a Christian and expecting to lead this program. And for me, my philosophy started with what have I seen before me? Right. And, and um, where that's helpful, right. Is you're, you're having this rowboat vision, being able to see what's worked before. Um, but one of the challenges is especially, you know, I was in California mm-hmm. now I'm in Michigan, oh, man. Yeah, and Grand Rapids to say the least. Yeah. I mean, culture shock is, is, is putting it lightly. Um, the, the, the way the philosophies that I use back in California do not work in, in Grand Rapids. And and I'm seeing that more now that I have an assistant who's helping me and trying to, she's not from Grand Rapids. And so trying to communicate some of those things, it's like, man, it's so important to it to be very, very localized in, in your approach. And that has definitely guided my approach. Um, so in the beginning, it was like my philosophy, if I'm being dead honest, and uh, I've spoken on podcasts and uh, blogs about this with Rooted before, was how can I get as many students possible and keep them? And, and yeah. to me, the schedule was, was key, right? Like we follow this schedule all the time. That's how I was taught as, as the years have gone on and the needs have changed. Um, I've kind of broken down my personal North stars into like practical and theological. And so maybe it'd be good for me to share yeah. my practical ones first. That'd be great. Yeah. So, so for me, once I kind of realized like, Hey, numbers aren't necessarily success. It's, and Rooted was a huge part in that. Again, one of my blogs uh, talks about that, of changing my entire philosophy of youth ministry. But the biggest thing that I have been trying to do from a practical level is two things. It's it's meeting the spiritual and relational needs of students, right? Like at yeah. the end of the day, there's so many things that we can do, but those two categories, meeting spiritual and relational needs, it's vague enough, but also restrictive enough to every single time you're doing an event saying, are one of one or both of these being met? And, and with what intention. And so that's been helpful. But then the other one uh, in my doctor of ministry reading this book, it's a book called strange rights. Yeah. Tara, um, Isabella, Tara Burton. Isabella Burton. Man, what a ride. Have you read, have you read it? I have. Yeah. I just, I dude, that revolutionized the way I saw it. so many aspects of just like American culture in general uh, would recommend. A- amen. And I, I think, you know, she, you know, the entire thesis of her book is that we don't live in a, godless nation we live in a spiritual but not religious nation and you know the reality is we have a ton of religions and the way that she defines it which has honestly been something that's just in the last year changed the way i view my philosophy of youth ministry is a religion is anything that offers purpose meaning community and ritual mm-hmm. right those four things and yeah she fits again, like think about covid in into there doesn't she like there are so many things yeah. that are like oh my gosh that explains why before she even gave those examples, my first thought when I read those four things, I'm like, that's what the church is all about. Mm-hmm. It, it, we're supposed to offer purpose and meaning, community, and that's what the sacraments, and that's what our worship is. It's it's yeah. rich, our service. It's it's ritual with one another. And so for me, it's, it's, okay, what are the spiritual and relational needs? And from a practical level, how can I infuse hopefully all four of these elements into what I'm doing? Um, so like when I, you know, when I craft my schedule, when, um, you know, we're picking certain events, those are the barriers, the restrictions that I have to be like, well, are we meeting these? Um, and if we're not, then you're gonna have to rethink that. So those are more some of the practical things. Yeah, that's really helpful, Eric. And I think your comment about having North stars or, 
Uh, I always used to think about them as like bumpers in a bowling alley, like anything between these bumpers. Great. But we just can't go outside these bumpers is to have them vague enough to allow you some flexibility, but to also have them concrete enough to to be able to say no to certain things. I, I feel like that can be a temptation for youth pastors who are wired in certain ways to either be like, hey, look, I am a minister. I'm you know, desirous to give my very self to these kids. And then you talk to them 18 months later and there's no gas left in the tank. Or, yep. you know, you have youth pastors who so tightly define what they are there to do in the context of a local church. And it essentially is youth ministry that it just might not be contextually helpful to kids, right? Like if you have kids who are playing sports all year long and they are meeting with their ACT tutors and they're hyper socialized because they live in a affluent, predominantly white upper middle class situation, but you want to have like a standard Wednesday night service. And that's like a crucial piece practically of your youth ministry philosophy. Like you will not be serving those kids and you will lead to, you know, you will burn yourself out on the other side of that equation. So man, that's Bingo. super, yeah, super and helpful. I, and to all that, I, I think what, what's so um, important is spiritual needs, relational needs, purpose, meaning, community, ritual. That's six words. Mm-hmm. If you're new, um, you know, especially if you're new and you start getting parents and, and feedback or congregational, you know, input after time, it will come, right? You're never going to come into, you're never not going to have criticism or, or pushback in something that you're doing to be able to root anything you're doing in something, again, that is mission and not just Eric's opinion. Well, it's because I want to do it because then you start getting into the, or the, the back and forth with parents and people of he said, she said, when it's like, Hey, we might disagree, but it's not even just boundaries. It's actually sort of like a a refuge in a sense for a new youth pastor. And to be able to communicate, I'm doing this based out of this belief. And again, that's, I think, where the theological kind of gets into it. It offers a lot of freedom and accountability, both. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's super, super helpful. Um, It seems like there's a lot of crossover between having just some kind of fleshed out, Hey, this is who we are. This is what we do. We provide for the emotional and spiritual needs of our students. And, and, and in one season that might look like ultimate Frisbee every Tuesday night, but then there might be a season where it definitely does not look like that. Right. Um, and so to be able to say, Hey, we canceled ultimate Frisbee because it wasn't serving our, you know, relational, uh, goal in this ministry does make it a lot easier to, have some have some cover, frankly, when you talk to parents who might be upset that you're no longer doing that. It's it seems a lot like it has a lot in common with uh, just kind of like teaching through books of the Bible in youth group. Because then when you come across Romans one, uh, as Steve Yates mentioned in a previous podcast, it doesn't feel like you're pinging anybody who might be struggling with same sex attraction. This is just what the text says, and it's we're playing it where it lies. Um. Amen and amen. And that I'm, that's what I'm going through kind of right now. And I think a lot of youth pastors are, you know, you talk to any youth pastor in the country. COVID did a number on a lot of people's yeah. YouTube. I know not everyone, but a lot of people. And, you know, I see so much anxiety in the need to perform in youth pastors in the area of I need to turn this youth ministry around. And it's like, or you just need to have a, a, a lane shift. 
you know, yeah. um, you need to be able to just move into the next lane. And that's exactly what really our youth group this year, man, it's, uh, it's, it looks totally different and we're not doing a lot of biblical teaching. We're doing a lot more just getting to know people because we're trying to rebuild it. And, yeah. you know, and when people get frustrated, exactly what you just said, well, why aren't we doing this? We're trying to get to know these students right now. Um, you know, that's yeah. what the, the relational is taking precedent currently. And we need to really dive, like, you know, pour into that. And people tend to respect that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's usually the most visible element of discipleship that gets, like, front and center the the, the praise or the demerits. Uh, there were times in our youth ministry where you just could feel kind of on a Tuesday morning at Bible study, like, Hey, we're, we're going to read the Bible. We're going to pray, but I can just tell you guys have just taken finals or are about to take finals. And maybe the most pastoral thing for us to do right now is to just sit here and talk about your fears and anxieties and concerns. And, you know, while that looks to, you know, maybe a dad in line at the bagel shop, who's seeing and overhearing the conversation that all we're doing is shooting the breeze in reality, if you place that against the backdrop of biblical teaching, then it, you know, we've just got a complimentary part. Having longevity in one spot for 10 years, I have come to find that the the looking like we're shooting the breeze conversations at Starbucks, um, those ultimately have more impact in the spiritual formation of an individual than any youth group talk I gave them in four years. Um, and so, yeah, it's, so that's why, again, the philosophy is important and, and what is right. And I think that actually might tie into sort of the theological sort of North stars that I have, if you want me to talk about that for sure. a second. Yeah, that'd be great. So I'm a CRC pastor and a uh, Christian reformed church. And so, you know, we are, we love our, our creation, fall redemption, restoration, you know, uh, arc. Yeah. and, you know, for me, as I think about what am I going to teach again, that stubbornly flexible, uh, piece I'm talking about, I take any topic basically through those four stages um yeah you know and so like what i've done in the past is you know we do something called fishbowl curriculum where at the beginning of the year the students present the questions they want answered throughout the year and basically any single topic i will take it through the creation narrative how did god intend this to be mm -hmm. the fall how have we messed it up how has jesus already redeemed this in scripture and what do we hope and how do we hope he will redeem it in the future? So drinking, dating, mental health, for me, that is my North Star. But the, again, the flexibility is it's going to change every single time. And the the onus is then on me to do the work of making sure that I'm faithfully presenting a, a gospel narrative to the question they're asking. Yeah, yeah. That is such a good way, I think, to give kids just a counter narrative to yes. this kind of super post enlightenment human autonomy kind of vibe that they drink up every day, just walking down the street to kind of say, Hey, the, the counter to that is not just like, Hey, Jesus loves you. And he died and rose from the dead and like cheers and amen. He definitely did not do less than that. But yes. the fact that there is a big meta narrative that these kids insert themselves into by the grace of God is, is uh, I think super constructive for them thinking about who they are in the midst of this world, not as just like weird Christians hoping for heaven, but as people who will be citizens of a redeemed world. Yeah. Well, and if you really think about it too, like this isn't just a, a, a the, the reason I think the theological is a lot more important is because it's not just from a, a 
These are the things I think you can take with you wherever you go. Context will matter in, in the presentation, but in terms of the actual belief, you know, personally, like even in conversation, like if you have those four pillars in your mind, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation about drinking. Well, is drinking bad? Well, let's, let's talk about it. Creation. Um, did God create alcohol? Um, you know, yes. Okay. It is, it is good. So it's objective. We see it all throughout scripture. God says it's, it's good. All right. Again, don't, I don't say this explicitly, but you know, thinking fall, how do we mess it up? Right. We turn this good thing into a God thing. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. And, and, you know, that's the problem we overindulge, but, you know, going to the redemption piece, what's awesome though, is we see that Jesus says first miracle is providing wine, you know, and, and, you know, we, we, we partake of that in the Lord's supper and, and again, restoration one day, we're not going to have to worry about overindulging because God will, will fill our hearts with contentment. It's not even going to be a desire. And man, even just conversationally, you can obviously extrapolate that much longer over a talk, but it, it just provides the, Boom, boom, boom. And again, if you're in the word, which I know we'll talk about, you know, how, how do we actually cultivate this and craft this? But yeah, if you're in the word and if you're doing the work, it's it's it, it, it flows through and especially, you know, relying on the Holy Spirit. But yeah, that's good. I think my last. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Real quick, and then the the last the the second piece of that creation fall, that's sort of like my um, obviously theological uh, educational structure but i think this cannot be overstated um more or cannot be repeated more we kind of have already talked about it in those conversations across really uh, across the table really understanding and appreciating the doctrine of in the incarnation um and how powerful incarnational presence ministry is right you can pretend to care you can't pretend to show up and um i think there's something in the incarnation and jesus being flesh and being among us is two things are true. He meets us where we're at, zero questions asked. And I think that is something that youth pastors need to go into with confidence, knowing that's what Jesus did for us. Meet students wherever they are at, no questions asked. But the other part of it is he does not expect us to uh, leave his presence the same. Right. Like there, he, there needs to be some sort of transformation. And so, you know, I see so often the fear of, well, if we let th these kids in or if we if we allow this, you know, th this person having, again, that philosophy and that theological foundation to say, no, 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 no. Jesus met us all where we were at. We're not going to expect them to totally stay the same. And ultimately, God's word is going to be what guides us. But, um, yeah, the, I, I, I can I'm we're, we're not dealing with it, but I'm sure plenty of people have, have had the story of once you start letting in those kids you know, all of a sudden, oh, we're, we're afraid these people are going to leave or these people are going to leave. Really trying to root yourself in what Christ has done for you and the love he's shown for you has got to guide how we interact on a presence level with our students and recognizing that the two hours that we get during a week is not, coaches, teachers, so many people are spending so much more time forming them that we need to spend as much time outside of the office as we do inside of the office. And I would even argue maybe even more. That's good. So, so if there is a young youth pastor, a new youth pastor listening to this podcast and they're thinking, yes, I am spread way too thin. I need a North star. I need some, some bumpers on my bowling alley. How, mm -hmm. and they were to ask you, how would I go about, crafting some kind of philosophy of ministry, how would you maybe guide them to start that process? So pray, pray a lot, 
again, that balancing time in office and out read, right. Read Mm -hmm. scripture, um, uh, read, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mike McGarry's book, a biblical theology of youth ministry, read the read, um, gospel centered youth ministry, uh, from, from rooted read growing young, find some books that talk about this and spend some time and not just by yourself, but talk with other people about it. Um, and then the last thing I'd said is is hang, hang with youth workers, find a network, chat with them about it, what you've been praying about, what you've been reading. Um, find a mentor. If you are new, Find a mentor, someone who's been doing it, whether it's in your church, maybe preferably outside, but someone that you can trust that says, hey, basically when you mess up, because you will, for them to go, oh, yeah, I remember when I did that. And and and, and it's, it's, it's a safety net, but it's also very instructive. And when you find that mentor, be willing to be wrong, because I, I, again, I'm preaching more to myself here who thought I had it all together when I was 22. We're about wrong and probably maybe 60 to 70% of what you're thinking if you're starting first <laughs> and we've all been there, right? And so be willing to be challenged because at the end of the day, it's it's not our ministry, it's God's ministry and he's allowing us to steward it. But hang with students, hang out with them. What, you know, the, in, in, in our my life in church, when we've come across maybe a crisis of community or a lack of vision, what has always helped is we have in two separate occasions committed a season to saying, you know what, the primary thing we're going to do is talk to people, ask them questions, see where they're coming from. And that has paid the most dividends each time. And it has clarified our vision and our philosophy moving forward, because the more time you spend with people and hear what their needs are, the more crystal clear it will become in your head. So spend time with people. Um, And then the last thing I'd say, just as an encouragement, and then any follow-up, obviously, uh, as we were going through our mission and vision process here at Hillside, um, uh, one thing that I was given that has stuck out to me ever since was the effectiveness of a decision, right? You're, wh- what our philosophy of youth ministry doing is doing is ultimately guiding how we're going to be making decisions, right? And so the effectiveness of a decision is, he said, is equal to the rightness of it, right? Times, not in addition to, but times the committedness of the decision. And so you know, I think we spend a lot of time on saying, I need to get this exactly right. It needs to be perfect. If you're 100% right, but you or the students that you're trying to reach are not committed to it at all, 100 times zero is nothing. You get it half right, but you capture the hearts and the um, you build that relational equity with 50%. 50 times 50 is going to be a lot more effective. And so just make sure you have the... Uh, know that you're not always going to get it right. And uh, we're all on a journey, but part of being committed is knowing some of these philosophical questions as you approach youth ministry. Yeah. Yeah. That'll preach. Yeah. I'm just thinking back to how my own philosophy of youth ministry changed from year one to year six or seven. And yeah, you know, there were aspects that were very, very similar, but um, and kind of, you know, poles in the ground that were very similar, but the, uh, the muscles and flesh to mix my metaphors, uh, definitely changed when I moved from one church to another, from one city to another, from one season of life to another. Um, so yeah, I actually uh, really like that poles analogy because, yeah. you know, it's even in California, it's perfect. You know, we have, it's the, the, the poles are still in the same spot. They're being used for the same functions, but 
the poles in California, you know, have bars around them and there's no canopy because it's not going to rain. In Michigan, right. it's a totally different setup. You know, it's it's still those poles are being used in the exact same function. It's just the 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 the, the backdrop looks completely different. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Amen. Um, well, Eric, thanks so much for for joining us today. We're super glad to have you. Hope you ha- hope to have you back on soon. Um, anytime. Yeah. Man. Thank you guys. This is, Hey, this is always a good way to, uh, start my day and, uh, about to head off to young adult retreat. So this nice. got me excited just to, you know, go spend some more time with them and hopefully meet some spiritual and relational needs. So thanks for yeah. uh, getting my day going. Absolutely, man. Always good to chat with you. And as you guys listen to this and head into your week, remember Jesus is on his throne, ruling over the world and ruling over your ministry as well. We'll see you guys in a few weeks. If you love the conversations we're having here on this podcast, we hope you'll join us in person this November at the Rooted 2023 conference in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a full three days of a family-like setting where you'll worship, fellowship, and be equipped and encouraged for another year of ministry. We'll have main session speakers, including Daniel Yang, Trillian Newbell, and Kelly Capick. 20 fantastic workshops from pastors, theologians, counselors like Mike McGarry and Sissy Goff, and music led by Sandra McCracken, the Lipscomb University Gospel Choir, and more. Join us today at rootedministry.com conference or click the link in the show notes. Don't forget to sign up before June 15th before prices increase. Again, that's rootedministry.com conference.